Well, I am so glad that you're here today as we're landing the plane and wrapping up a sermon series that we've been calling Holy Sex, where we wanted to dig into God's Word to say, what's the Bible have to say about sexuality, gender, marriage, staying sexually pure in a culture that has no intentions of making that easy for you? They're not sitting around thinking about how they can make this easy. Everything is against us on this. So we better go to God's Word and we better be thinking in terms of this will be a fight. I keep talking about fighting the good fight of faith. It's going to be a fight. So just getting this information in this series is not going to do it. You're going to have to decide, am I going to take this information by God's grace and begin to fight more intelligently to finish well? I hope you will. And so as we conclude, I said I wanted to leave you with a strategy, a strategy for staying pure and fighting sexual temptation. And to frame up that strategy, I said, we'll take a look at the life of Joseph and an incident in his life. So last week we went there and I showed you the first two steps that I think we can draw from his life with a strategy. Today, I wanna give you two more. But before we dive into it, let's frame it up and let's read the passage. Genesis chapter 39. Turn there with me in your Bibles and I do hope you have a what? Bible. Hope you have a Bible or an iPhone or an app or something, some way you can see God's word for yourself. Get to Genesis chapter 39, and you follow along as I read again, verses 1 to 12. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not even know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In other words, he thinks very highly of Joseph. He trusts Joseph. He really sees Joseph as a sharp guy and trusts him. He's turned all this over to him. Top it off, not only has he business smarts and he's good at running stuff and administration, turns out he's good looking. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not even know what is with me in the house. He's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you're his wife. So now how? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against, say it, God? How? And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day, the NIV, I'm reading New King James, but NIV says day after day, day after day after day after day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work one day that none of the other men of the house was inside. And she caught him by his garment. And she said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. Ran outside. Well, let's review before we dive into any more steps. And let's review last week's first two steps. Number one, I said the first step in this battle, if you want to finish well, you have to already make up your mind ahead of time that you're going to resist the very first, say it, 
hint, very first hint of temptation. The very first hint of it. And your mind better already be made up. The time to start thinking through things is not when the temptation is right in your face. Ahead of time, make up your mind. You're going to resist the very first hint of temptation. It's what Joseph had done. Look at verse 7 and 8. Came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast long eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. But he refused. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't ponder it. He didn't pray. He didn't get with his accountability partner. He didn't take a survey. He didn't say, I'll have to get back to you on that. Boom. But he refused. You're going to have to be that kind of man or woman. Boom. Your mind's already made up. That's a done deal. I'm going to resist the very first hint of sexual temptation. Step number two. You better keep God squarely in the picture of this battle. I think this right here is what too many Christians fail to grasp. It's not just you and that woman and you and that man and you and whatever and you and the television and you and commercials and you and billboards and you and magazine articles and ah! God, keep God squarely in the picture of your battle. It's what Joseph had done and you can see it. You can see it and it explains what seems like an odd way to end a verse, what seems like a disconnect If you understood, oh, he so much has God squarely in the picture of his life and every day, whatever he's facing, that that's how he's thinking. Look at it again, starting in verse 8. He refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not even know what is with me in the house. He's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. He's saying, look at all he's done for me. Look how much he's given me. Look how he's promoted me. Look how he trusts me. He's so good to me. How can I do this wicked thing and sin against? You would think it ought to end what? Potiphar. He's building a case for how good Potiphar's been to him. How could I then do this man wrong? I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. He understands any goodness, any blessing that comes to you, it came from God. God is better. God is bigger. It's the hand of God. He never lies. So I told you last week, you're going to have to do everything you can to stay as God conscious as you can. And I'm not just talking about so afraid of him. Oh, I don't want to do that because he'll get me. That, a little bit of that would be good. Don't lose that altogether. But guess what? It's not enough. You know what you actually need? When I'm talking about a God consciousness, I'm talking about you just spent time with your risen Savior that morning, tasting, as the psalmist said, and seeing that he's good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've spent time sitting at his feet like Mary, not his mother, but those two sisters, Mary and Martha. And one was buzzing around, serving, serving, serving. But Mary sat at his feet, and he said, she's chosen the good part that can never be taken from him. Are you sitting at Jesus' feet, tasting that he's good, knowing him, delighting in him, being so satisfied in him that then you're so conscious of your God and Savior and so satisfied, it's easier to say no to these things. You see these things more as the trinkets and baubles and toys and cotton candy that it really is. Does that make sense? God conscious. Not just terrified of God, aware of how good he is. He's so good. All right, let's add to this. Step number three. Step number three now. Don't flirt with temptation. Don't play with it like your plaything. Don't see how close you can get to it. Resist 
temptation. Don't flirt and be ready to remove yourself as quickly as possible. Be ready to remove yourself as quickly as possible. Look at verse 10 again. And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. Guess what? If you don't know this already, if you don't know, know this already, get this from this series. Sexual temptation is relentless. It's relentless. So here's the deal. What separates the godly men and women from the ungodly boys and girls that live by their next sexual urge is not your ability to say no to a temptation. Maybe you're saying, what? I'm just working myself up to that point. Oh, you need to be ready for more. It's not your ability to say no to a temptation, my friend. It's your ability to say no over and over and over and over and over. As she spoke to him day after day after day, he did not lie with her. He was not going to do that. Now, ladies, I want to say a word to you about temptation, since we're talking about temptation all through this series, but particularly these last two messages here. A word about temptation, because your temptations in this area, sexual temptations, can be quite different than those of men. There's a lot of similarities, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, and I think I have. But now I want to talk about some things that are not exactly the same. So if you're not careful and you're just thinking like you think, you could be making it very hard for your Christian brothers to pursue holiness. You could be making it very hard for ungodly, unbelieving men. By the way, here's what I want to talk to you about. By the way you dress. By the way you dress. If you're not careful... See, here's the deal. Guys are sexually, guys are sexually turned on visually and instantly. Visually and instantly. You say godly guys that love the Lord and have an ESV study Bible? Yeah. (laughs) Guys that have not perverted themselves and gotten all worked up through porn and prostitutes and yes. It's not that somehow a guy got all messed up and now he's just like, oh, We're born that way. I'm I'm telling you the truth. Now don't hear me saying we're born perverted and messed up. Hear me saying we're born very different than you. We are visual. I don't even have to know you. I don't have to know if you can sing, what your voice sounds like, what your gifts are, what your education is. I don't even have to be close to you. You can be on the other side of the room. Boom. We are turned on visually and instantly, instantly. We're sexually aroused, turned on, a fire is lit just by the sight of you. So that's why it's so important what you choose to wear and how you choose to dress. Because get this, it doesn't just affect you, what you wear. It affects every male in the room who's reached puberty. I kid you not. Whether he's 11, 12, if he has a reproductive organ... And if he's 75, 80, don't think, but these guys are old. They're not done. (laughs) From from the moment puberty begins till God lays him in the grave, he's alive. He may hurt himself trying to act out on it, but he's still alive. (laughs) He still wants it. I guarantee you. He wishes he could do more, but he wants it. That's how God made us. He made us different. 
very, very differently. And you need to keep this in mind. Now, even as I say this, I know that there's, there's different categories of women sitting here. So I want to address, I don't know that I've come up with all categories that exist, but I'm thinking of three categories, so I want to address each one of these three categories regarding this issue. There might be those of you that are sitting here that are saying, honestly, for real, and you're not, you're being honest, I didn't know that. You're kidding. Like, really? Like that? And you're a pastor, not a pervert. That's right. Pastor, not pervert. And I mean, boom, baby. Yeah. You're like, wow, okay, wow, now you know. You didn't know, now you know, huh, what are you going to do with that information now? From this point forward, God's going to hold you accountable for what you do know. And if you think I'm wrong, ask around, take a survey. Might be awkward, but take a survey. I think you'll find out, I know what I'm talking about. I speak the truth to you. Now you know. I mean, this would be awkward, but I'd like to say, some men stand and tell me if I'm wrong. Like, oh, no, no, I'm not like that at all. I don't think so. Now you know. What are you going to do? There's a second category. There are women sitting here that if you were honest, you'd say, I knew that. I knew that. I won't even argue with you. I know that for sure. But I don't care. I don't care. Why should his problem... Problem of guys. Why should their problem become my burden and dictate and limit to me what I choose to buy and wear? What a bummer. Go get help. Have an accountability group. Huddle up somewhere and take care of all that. But don't, don't put your thing on me. Your problem shouldn't become my burden. I have a word for you. Repent. Repent of that attitude. Repent. I'm going to come back to you, category two, but I want to go ahead and address three. There's a third category. You might be sitting here as a woman, you'd say, I knew that. You know what? But it's been a while since I thought about that. I knew that. In fact, I've been in this church, Brad, so you've done this before. You created an incredibly awkward moment at Scott High School, the weekend of Thanksgiving, when I had my in-laws here, and you said cleavage. So I remember, yes, (laughs) this has been addressed before. It's still talked about. There's some certain Sundays that still people... You remember when Pastor Brad actually spoke on modesty and said cleavage and called breasts the gazelles? And my in-laws were here. (laughs) We still talk about it every Thanksgiving. There's turkey and cranberry and cleavage. It still gets talked about. How he did that on that Sunday. Okay, so if you've been in our church, you know. But you've forgotten. And like the frog in the kettle... You've just gradually drifted more and more away from some convictions you had, some standards you had. Plus, my heart goes out to you, ladies. It does. It's getting harder. You'd say, Brad, it's getting harder and harder and harder to find modest clothing. So what I used to think was immodest, I say, well, that's okay compared to, well, here's what's really going on, so I'm not doing that. And there aren't any Christian that I know of clothing stores, like Christian Family Bookstore, and you buy the little trinkets and the T-shirts, and we get modest clothing. We don't, we can't do that. We're out there trying to find this. I know, I know, this is hard. And I know there's many of you that are conscious of this and working at it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not here saying nobody's doing this right. No woman cares. No, not at all. Thank you. But just like with our money, every time I preach about money and teach about money, people start giving again who had forgotten. Like, oh, we kind of got careless. Every time we address things, you tighten it up. So with ladies on this, I'm not saying nobody's doing this, but think again. 
Think again. Think again about what's going on. And if you're struggling right now in your heart thinking, why should his problem, their problem, be, be my problem? Let me give you a couple things to think about. Number one, it's not your problem alone. Don't hear me saying that. Don't hear me putting it all on you. It's not your problem alone. But we need your help in this fight. We need your help. We, we need Christian men and women to help each other and to fight together. We need your help in this fight. Because listen to me. Here's how I'd put it to you. I'm going to answer to God. Every boy and man that's reached puberty in here is going to answer to God for what we do with our eyes. You will answer to God for where you direct our eyes by the way you dress. Did you know you can, you can direct our eyes certain places by what you do? You should not have any word on your bottom. Pink. I'm already trying not to look at your bottom. And now it's like, whoa, bottom. Pink bottom. Hot pink bottom. Good looking bottom. I'm serious. Don't have some big word on your bottom. I'm trying not to look at your bottom. Don't wear clothing that like, yeah, like your blouse is so tight you might as well spray it on instead of put it on. You know what I mean? It's like it's just accenting. And if you don't know this, we love breast. I mean, Proverbs 5 says, delight in her breast. Why does God say We love them. All right? So you're, you're supposed to not accent that. We're already thinking breast. And when we see you and you're saying, I got them. That's really hard. That's not a good combination. We know you got them. I'm trying to look at your face. But the way you're dressed says breast. So I hope I've created a holy, helpful, awkward moment. Okay? Especially depending on the way you're dressed today. All right? I could have... I should have sent out an email. This could be really awkward for some of you. Think about this. It's Burka Sunday to the glory of God. You just got this and women are peeking out. I'm good. I'm good. And that's not where we're going. Make sure you know this is not legalism. We're not going to have ushers at the door with tape measures for skirts. And we're not going to hand out burkas and bulletins, you know. But listen, while we might not all agree exactly on a standard, I hope you would agree There needs to be a standard. It can't be whatever. It can't be, here's where the culture is, so here's where we are. Oh, well, what can we do? Help us. Help us. And so even as you check out what you're doing, you got to understand, ladies, standing in front of the mirror is not good enough. You stand there and say, blouse, great. Try bending over and pretend you're picking up your Bible or your purse. And if your blouse flops down and we see the, the whole deal, there it is. I saw them both. Wow. There they are, galloping around. It's like, oh my goodness, right? I mean, like, boom. You're going to need help. Ask your husband or some friend, what's this like when I bend over? Okay? If, if your shirt doesn't come down far enough to meet your pants, and it can't just meet, because you're going to reach for something. You're going to do something. You're going to lift your hands and praise, and it's going to separate. You say, Whoa. Are you guys so worked up? You can't see a couple inches of my... Yes. Because listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. A little bit of you is far more exciting than you totally naked. We're not really even interested in that. You, no one looks that good totally naked. It's, it's little glimpses of you, right? I'm mean, let's be real. It's little glimpses of you that is so inciting. It's like, oh, oh. Now, maybe you didn't know that. Now you do. 
You're saying, I, I try to never go outside naked. Good. <laughs> but that isn't our biggest problem. Probably if we saw what you would think, oh, put something on. But it's when it's just a little bit of something on. That's what, I mean, that's why they sell negligees, right? I mean, why not, you're married, just be naked. We like just this other stuff. Well, if you're dressing already like it's negligee, it's a problem. That's a problem. That's where we, and here's a, here's a deal. I may get in trouble for this. Leggings are not pants. Leggings are not pants. Leggings are not pants. Oh, my word. I have, there's no difference between you naked and you in those black leggings. I've just seen you. Do you know how hard we're working to not just have you in bed doing what we shouldn't do with you? you you're right there. There you are. It's like you have nothing on. Ah! Help us out. And girls are just like, what? 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 Now you know. Now you know. It's like you can't do that. You should. It's going to happen in the gym with people that don't love Jesus. Someone's going to get right on the machine in front of me with leggings. They're all over the place. It's my choice to like, oh, wow, there she is. Boom. I'm looking at this desk over here for the next 28 minutes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. That's what I do. There she is. And, and black's the worst. Black leggings. It's just, man, that looks good. So, I mean, it's the worst and it's the best. You see what I'm saying? But I'm trying to finish well. All right, we got guys that want to do this right. Help us out so when we come to church, don't be here in black leggings. When you go to small group, don't be in black leggings. Don't have a blouse that flops open. Don't have a sweater that's so tight it's like, hello, gazelles. Don't do these things. Help us out. Now, I'm also, there's two ditches to fall into. It's not let's be dumpy and dog-faced to the glory of God. You know, get, don't dumpy sweatpants and flip-flops and a bad haircut, no makeup. Please don't do that either. Don't do that. Let's not try to see how ugly I can be to the glory of God. You can be attractive. There's a difference between wanting to be attractive and seeking to attract. And if you need help on that, ask a godly woman to help you. And young ladies, ask your mom to walk you through that. And young ladies, you're not going to like this. Let your dad be the judge of what's okay. I know battles are going on in the home because I have girls with moms sometimes even saying, what? And dad's saying, what? Nothing. Like, no way. And they're like, honey, this, just is, this is what they do today. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. When you have a battle, err to the side of the dad. If the dad says that's not okay, mom, back off. He's a guy. He has a male reproductive, he knows, you don't, you don't know. You've not lived in the world of a guy since he hit puberty, since he had puberty, he knows. It's very different. And I know girls will say, oh, we're the same way. We see guys and we think they're hot. It is not the same. You may see guys and think they're hot. But I don't think when you reached puberty, you went all day long at school just thinking, it's all I can think about. I want to jump on him and bed him down. Oh, help me. I'm supposed to be thinking history. I'm supposed to be going to lunch. Welcome to our world. From the moment I hit puberty, it was like, I almost can't do anything else or think about anything else. I thought something was wrong with me. And I have a twin brother. This was seventh grade. And I said to him, I can't say what actually I said to him. But I said, is this what it's like for you all day long? And he said, yeah. I said, me too. I said, oh my goodness, at least I'm not the only one. What is wrong? 
We are ready to reproduce from the moment we hit puberty. We're not looking to hold your hand. We're not looking for a friend. Girls, he's not looking for a friend. He'll fake friendship to get you in bed. And girls, I think, will fake sex to get affection and love. And news alert, help us out, Christian women and girls. Think this through. Now, I'm probably ticked many of you off, but I want you now, I want you now to think about Scripture. Because it's not just me. Don't just say, push away and say, whatever. That's just Brad. Let me give you some Scripture to work your way through related to this. And I want you to just put it before the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything here? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning of verse 3. Philippians 2 verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Could you, put the, could, you, could you put building a wardrobe in there? Could you put purchasing clothes, picking out what you're going to wear? I think you could. As you pick out clothes, as you shop, as you build a wardrobe, don't let it be through selfish ambition. But this, this makes me look good. I look hot in this. Or conceit. Don't I look good? It doesn't matter what this does to anybody. It doesn't matter about godliness or holiness. I look good. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, can I help how hot I am? Don't hear me saying, be ashamed of being hot or beautiful. But God made you beautiful. And listen to me, young lady or mid-lady or older lady, you better make sure you thank God for your beauty, but you begin to cultivate inner beauty. Because inner beauty is what you can have for a lifetime. And outer beauty will leave you. You can buy the $800 systems that you do at night, three steps and all that, and just you know cucumbers and mud all over your face. Do whatever you want. It's leaving it's not going to stay this way. Thank God for it, but don't build your whole world around it or you're going to be really in trouble. Begin to cultivate what you could have for a lifetime, inner beauty and character. And again, don't be ashamed of beauty. Hear me now. Women are some of God's most incredible, glorious, beautiful creation in everything he did. A woman We're not ashamed of that. We're not denying that. Here, I'm telling you, you are one of the most stunning, astounding, amazing. I love beauty, whether it's art, painting, scenery, music, whatever. And women, you are one of the most beautiful things he did. But there's a way to put beauty on display, and there's a way to put beauty. Think about it. Think of yourself as a gem. There could be a beautiful gem that is displayed in a setting in an appropriate way. Could you take a beautiful gem and put it in a, a setting that's gaudy? Think about the way you put on display the beauty God gave you. Do it in an appropriate way. Don't deny your beauty, but just see that you put it on display in an appropriate way. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself. Look at verse four. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Could we apply this to that whole thing? Hey, don't put his problem on me. His problem shouldn't become my burden. Hey, what a bummer. I want to wear what I want to wear. You're not supposed to just look out for your own. Oh, but it's my color. I know. This is a great price. This is a brand that's normally blah, 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 and it's 70% off. I'm being a good steward of God's money. <laughs> and we're given to the building thing. And it, no, 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 no. Doesn't matter how good a price it is. Doesn't matter if that's, it's that brand you've been looking for. Oh, if it 
accents or exposes and puts on display something in the wrong way. You got to pass it by. Oh, it's my color, but uh. oh, it's a great price, but uh. oh, it's my favorite brand, but uh. is this hard? Oh, yeah. But for the glory of God, for the glory of God, look out for the interest of others and not just yourself. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. You'll see a similar principle that I think could be applied to modesty and clothing and dress. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, 15. For the love of Christ compels us. All right, ladies, as you build a wardrobe, as you pick out clothing... As you consider what's, what you should do and not do, the love of Christ should compel you. That should be what's moving you, not how will I look. What, I, I, the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, not, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Not supposed to live for yourself, but it works for me. Let them deal with their own. That's not, that doesn't even characterize Christianity. If you're a Christian... One of the things that should characterize us is that we no longer live for ourselves. You're willing to lay aside what might be your right. Well, I have a right to dress way out. Maybe you do. But one of the things that characterizes Christianity is you lay, you're never more like Jesus than when you're laying aside rights and considering the needs of others. Let me show you one more place. 1 Corinthians 6, we've been there several times in this series, but it bears repeating on this point at this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Ladies, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How are you decorating or accenting or putting that on display? There shouldn't be a disconnect with guys thinking, Ah, I think she really loves Jesus. She's got a passion for the Lord. She's into missions, but... Man, the way she's dressed, that is such a struggle for me. There shouldn't be that big disconnect. Your body is the temp. And again, don't hear me saying dumpy and dog face. Don't hear me saying burka for Jesus. Hear me saying there's a difference between dressing attractively and dressing to attract. You figure out what that is, but I don't think it's impossible. Not impossible to figure this out. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You're not your own. Ladies, your body and your beauty is not yours to do whatever you want to with it. Your body is not your trophy. It's not your stage to display yourself. The gospel, if you're a Christian, has caught you up into something bigger than you, and there's a calling on your life that is greater and bigger than you, and we're so grateful for beautiful women, godly, gracious, lovely, beautiful women. You are such a blessing. The desire is not, I wish just there weren't women around. Oh, what a loss that would be. But we need godly, gracious, lovely, attractive women, but not not ladies that are drawing attention to the wrong places and dressing in ways that make it hard for men, godly and otherwise, to even operate. 
I want you to get a hold of passages like 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 11. In the New Living, it says this. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Here's what that's not saying. There are denominations that teach no makeup, no jewelry, no bling. I don't think it's teaching that. It's saying make sure that the jewelry and the way you fix your hair is not such a deal that everyone's like, whoa, there's a lot going on there. There's sticks and pins and jewels and I can't even hardly think about the sermon. That must have taken a long time, my word. It's not you can't wear jewelry. I think accessories make the outfit. (laughs) I really do. I mean, I like nice accessories. I like my wife to have nice, I fund nice accessories. But just accessorize in a godly way. Don't pin something to your nipple. Don't pin something to your bottom. Don't, don't do things that cause our eyes to be drawn to the wrong place. Appropriately accessorize. Appropriately do your hair. But make sure the main thing you're about is a godly heart. A lovely heart. A sweetheart that's in love, and, love with Jesus. That's, and you want a good definition of modesty? Here's a good definition of modesty. Modesty is humility expressed in dress. Modesty is humility expressed in dress. See, listen to me, ladies. You're not just wearing clothes when you step out of the house. You are promoting something or someone by the way you dress. Question is, who or what is it? You're promoting something or someone by the way you dress. What is it that you're promoting? Pastor Peter did a fantastic message about pornography a few weeks ago. And although that's not exclusively a man's problem, more and more ladies are being drawn into that, but it is far more of a problem for guys than ladies in general. Why? Because we're visually oriented much more than you. And listen to what Josh Harris says. Men are tempted to give themselves to pornography. Women are tempted to commit pornography. If you're a woman, you don't have to pose for a picture or star in a pornographic movie to commit pornography. When you dress and behave in a way that is designed primarily to arouse sexual desire in men, you're committing pornography with your life. Here's what I think is going on. Men and women can abuse the charms and the powers that God gives them. Men can be so guilty of abusing women violence and harshness with words or or their fists but listen to me ladies you have a power you may be the weaker vessel as far as fine china you have a power that can take us to our knees and debilitate us and you know it some of you know it and so this whole thing has to do with power you enjoy that power i can just turn heads i can i can affect the whole room i can undo people listen to me that's wrong Don't use what God gave you and abuse it. Don't don't abuse the beauty God gave you, the charms he gave you, the looks he gave you in selfish gain or with sexual games. You know what I'm talking about? Just playing these little games and just enjoy the thrill of what I'm doing here. Wrong. Wrong. And this is not a new problem. It's not like, oh, There's never been this struggle until lately with with the way people dress and what's going on in our culture. Not so. I thought it was interesting. I ran across a quote by Pastor Richard Baxter in the 1600s. 
Now, before I read this, just picture what the women were dressing like then. I mean, we would all think if we could just get ladies dressed like that today, which I don't even want that. That's just, oh, there'd be no problem. Apparently not. Here's what he says. He says, a woman needs to think of walking in this world with sinful people. She needs to walk as she would with a candle into a room filled with straw or gunpowder. She needs to be careful about how she exercises and exhibits her feminine wonders. If she's not careful, there may be an explosion of flame after it's too late to do anything about it. Ladies, you ought to think of yourself as a candle. And every time you enter a room with any men, church, small group, gym, Workplace, neighborhood to jog, you're around gunpowder. Keep in mind, you're around gunpowder. And that should help you determine what should you jog in? What should you wear to small group? What should you wear to church? What should you wear to the marketplace, to the workplace? You are a candle, a beautiful candle, but you have the potential to ignite an explosion. And that should not be your goal. That should not be what you live for. You live for and are compelled by the love of Christ. You live for someone other than yourself. You want to bring glory to God. Are you making it easy or hard for men to stay sexually pure? What is exposed and emphasized by the way you dress? And where are eyes being drawn? All right. I put in the bulletin an insert called Modesty Checklist. So take some time this week. This is not inspired. It shouldn't be added to the back of our Bibles. But it's just to get you started. If you don't like it, revise it. But at least come up with something, especially moms. Sit down with your daughters and say, hey, let's work our way through this. And thinking through what should we wear, how should we look, what should we emphasize. Moving on. And all God's women said, please, yes. <laughs> Step number four. Be willing to run and get radical. Be willing to run and get radical in your fight against sexual temptation. That's what Joseph did literally. Look at it in verse 12 again. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Let me help you out here. Two ways I want to press on you of how you can get radical. Number one, you want to be radical? Pay attention to the little stuff. If you're only on guard for big, heinous, gross, obvious sexual sin, you're still at risk. Pay attention to the little stuff. Satan wants to just start nibbling at your convictions, blurring the lines, diluting the strength of your conviction. He's not so stupid as to come at you with a full frontal assault of sexual perversion. But to just like the frog in the kettle, get you to a point that you never meant to be and you're not even conscious of it. Pay attention to the little stuff. Ed Welch, author and counselor, says, The actual descent into sin begins without much fanfare. When looking into the Grand Canyon, the first step down seems insignificant. Rather than a huge noticeable leap of rebellion, sin is marked by small steps of spiritual casualness or indifference and a lack of sensitivity to right and wrong. It doesn't capture our attention. Spiritual indifference and apathy doesn't attract notice. After all, everyone coasts every now and then, we think. Maybe you haven't committed a gross sexual sin yet. But if you've been guilty of little steps of indiscretion, things you never would have done before or allowed before, but you've thought, eh, not that big of a deal. Are you coasting spiritually? Oh, that should alarm you. You can't ever coast. You can't ever coast. You can't ever coast. You're either pursuing holiness or you're rolling backwards. You cannot coast. So you better pay attention to the little things. 
Paul Tripp in his book Sex and Money describes this well, this little stuff you need to be alert to. Listen to what he says. With each lunch meeting, something was happening in his heart that he seemed completely unaware of. His affection compass was increasingly pointing in her direction. He had not abandoned his commitment to his wife, and he surely hadn't entertained any thoughts of leaving his marriage, but his heart had moved. And because it had, it wouldn't be long before his body would move as well. He told himself that she was just another colleague, but she wasn't. He told himself it was important to develop solid friendships with fellow workers, but he seemed to have that bond only with her. Their conversations became more frequent, more planned, and more personal, but he still had no sense of danger. Let me ask you right now. Don't sit there smugly thinking, well, I'm not jumping in bed with anyone I shouldn't be in bed with, so I'm good. No, no, let me ask you. Is there anybody that you're having more, your conversations are becoming more frequent, more planned, and more personal? You used to just run into him at work. Now you find reasons to run into him. Or you find yourself hoping you will. And more than work, you're getting more personal in your conversations. Right there is the time to be alarmed. Pay attention to the little stuff. That's the time to back up, back up, back up, back up. Paul Tripp goes on and unpacks this some more. He says he would put his arm around her when he asked her how she was doing. She would stand with her body actually touching him when they were waiting in the hallway for a meeting. He would grab her hand when he was making a point or touch her shoe with his shoe under the table in a meeting. All of this appeared to him and maybe others as harmless, but it wasn't harmless at all. It wasn't harmless because all of it was sexual, highly sexual. He had weeks earlier committed adultery in his heart. That is, he had shifted the affection of his heart from his wife to his fellow workers. And now he was beginning to commit adultery with her, with his body. It was all office acceptable foreplay. And it wouldn't be long before sex would follow. You know what he's talking about? I think you do. And if you don't, get up to speed with thinking this way. Feet touching under the table, brushing up against each other. These little indiscretions are not inconsequential. That's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of you going down in flames. Pay attention to the little stuff. And don't allow it. Pull away. Second way to get radical is allow godly people to get close to you and to speak into your life. Don't say, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Yeah, you're a rock that's going to sink. You need other people. At close range. That's why Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself. You pull back. You don't like people getting close to you. You don't want people around you. You don't want people to really know you. You're not in a small group. Blah, 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 blah. You just like a big crowd. It's just me and Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. You know why you pull back? Because you want what you want. He seeks his own desire. Not smart, not wise. Satan is halfway to victory if he knows he can get you to believe when something's going on and you're feeling the first twinges of something inappropriate, a little spark, a little chemistry, and he says to you, you don't need to tell anybody this. Don't talk to this about your, to your guy friend, to your girlfriend. It's fine, no big deal. And what will they think of you? Pride. Pride is keeping you. Listen to me. When you bring it out into the light, one of the things that makes temptation what it is, secrecy and darkness intensify temptation. Don't hear me saying it'll go away altogether, but you try me on this. When you bring it out into the light, some of the intensity of it is reduced. When you confess to 
someone you trust, another good brother or sister in the Lord, say, here's what I'm going through, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling. I know I shouldn't have these thoughts. It's like removing the teeth from an angry dog. The temptation's still there, the dog's still there, some of the bite's gone. Satan wants you to think you can do this on your own. You can't. Bring it out in the light. Not to everybody, but find someone you trust appropriate and say, help me, here's what I'm going through. Let me give you an example. In our own church family right here, what I'm talking about, someone willing to get radical like this and we need more of it. Here's a woman in our church who knows the joys of marriage, the closeness and the companionship and the laughter and the friendship and the the sense of not being alone and doing life with someone else. Married for over two decades, but now not, tragically not, and no fault of her own. And she's in our church. And she's fighting hard to stay sexually pure in a world that even Christian singles again just say, oh, whatever, God, we both love each other. We're consenting adults. That's what's going on in the church, in the Christian community now with singles again. And she's trying not to do that. And she wrote me this email and she said this. Thank you for taking the time with this series on sexual purity. I desire so much to honor the Lord with my whole being. And so far I have continued on the road of purity. But it is so hard. The fiery darts of the enemy come at me, but I have a dear sister in the Lord that has been my friend and accountability partner. I have cried out to her when the struggle is intense. Now, I wouldn't think that I would need to say this, but I have found that I do. She found a dear sister in the Lord. She didn't reach out to some other guy to help her hold me accountable. Stupid. You don't cry out. You find someone of the same sex. Guys reach out to a guy. Ladies reach out to ladies. Enough said. I cry out to her when the struggle's intense. Recently, I was guilty of flirting sexually with a man at work. I know better, but I didn't want to tell my accountability partner. I could hear the lie in my head. Nobody will know. But I said out loud, no, Jesus will know. And that night, I told her what I'd been doing. I know if I'd listened to the lie in my head and continued down that path, I would probably have fallen into sexual sin. I do miss being a wife. I miss a man's touch and companionship. Yet I don't want to deceive myself into doing what the Lord calls sin. I don't want to suffer the consequences of sex outside of marriage. Most of all, I don't want the burden of shame. I can hide sin from people, but God sees everything. I want to bring honor to the Lord. And I'm thankful that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation that's overtaking you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Now listen, one of the ways he's faithful is by giving us each other. Sometimes there's people going down and saying, God didn't help me. God didn't help me. God didn't help me. You didn't draw on the means of grace he gives us. You weren't reading your Bible. You weren't praying. You weren't in a small group. You weren't reaching out to others and letting them get close to you. No, he never says you will make it on your own. He says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able as he has you in the context of all that he meant to be going on in your life. The Bible is a means of grace, direct access to his throne, other people speaking into your life at close range, seeing what you might not be seeing. I want to finish well. David went down in flames at my age. My age. The sweet psalmist of Israel, after he wrote all those psalms to the Lord. It can happen. I want to finish well. I want you to finish well. To do that, we're going to have to be like the Apostle Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection, lest after having preached to others, I myself will be 
disqualified. Folks, I'll never be perfect and neither will you. But I do not have to be disqualified and you do not. I do not have to go down in flames and you do not. But just hearing this sermon series is not enough. What are you going to do? What are you going to put in place? What are you going to change? What are you going to alter? I want you to have a strategy. Yours doesn't have to look exactly like mine, but you better have a strategy for fighting the good fight of faith to finish well. Your body is not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for warning us. Thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for giving truth on so many issues that we need. And Lord, thank you for giving us each other and direct access to your throne through prayer. Lord, help us to fight the good fight of faith, to finish well. Perfect? No. Different? Yes. And willing to be radical when necessary, which is often, often. Lord, may we be a different kind of people. May the Grace family be a different kind of family. May we stand out in the gym and in the marketplace and in the neighborhood and wherever we are, not for being fuddy-duddies and dog face and whatever, but for being gloriously, joyfully attractive, yet different. Different, a different mode of operating altogether. Living for the glory of God, kingdom-minded, caught up in something bigger. Use us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.